and welcome to this episode of Spotlight with Sandhya. If you are asked to name the fashion guru of India, the name that springs to mind is that of Prasad Bidapa. He has groomed many a model who has risen to great heights and he has worked with several brands and designers and made them famous as well. The arbiter of all that's cool and fashionable is now working on a project that's close to his home and his heart. Let's welcome Prasad Bidapa to the show and find out his plans for creating a silk route from Bengaluru to Mysuru. Hi Prasad and welcome to Spotlight with Sandhya. Hi Sandhya, thank you for having me on your program. I've been watching it and admiring it from afar and now it's lovely to be part of it. Nice to see you. You know Prasad, you're from Kodagu and of course it's very famous for its coffee and it's also famous because it's so close to Mysuru. Is that one of the reasons, because you're a proud Kanadiga, that you feel that you want to revive of the state of uh, Mysore silk? Absolutely, Sandhya. I think that we live in one of the most beautiful states in the country. And I think it's our responsibility to hand over this beautiful uh, state to our children and their children after them for generations to come, the way that our parents left it to us. And I, because I travel from Bangalore to Kurg very often, I travel along what I call the Silk Route. From here, we reach Ramnagaram. From Ramnagaram, we reach Mandia. We come to Sri Rangapatna. You know, we, it's just one beautiful township after the other, on entire belt of which silk is woven. And Karnataka's sort of superiority and dominance in the field of silk is well known and well documented. In fact, I think that Karnataka has been exporting silk for close to 3,000 years. Now I'm talking going undocumented. But you see, there is mention in the Roman Empire and in different parts of the world of silk from India. And most of it came from Karnataka, from the south of India. And I think that we have also, uh, you know, laid claim to the fact that Karnataka was one of the uh, of the states that pushed up India's GDP in the old days before the British and the Mughals and everyone came and, you know, took over the economy and quite ruined the economy of this country. As you know, India was one of the most successful countries with a flourishing GDP exporting to all corners of the earth. I mean, we were really big. And then came the invaders who found the wealth of India irresistible and ensured that a large part of it went to them afterwards. And in that confusion, I think a silk of Karnataka suffered a lot because the British were always trying to push their fabrics down India's throat. And when they discovered Pavaloom weaving, there was no stopping them. Then they began, began to become the biggest suppliers of textiles to the world replacing India, whose beautiful handmade arts and wonderful handwovens were till then the biggest thing that you saw even in Britain. You always read in Georgette Heyer novels about the muslin dresses the girls wore. Those were all muslins from India that we are talking about. And then they started making mill-made fabric and they tried to destroy the Indian handwoven industry and they succeeded almost completely. And this was done in two ways. They taxed us very heavily for any production of handloom, and they destroyed our looms also. 
So this created a vacuum in the silk business and in the cotton business out of India. And even Indians started wearing British manufactured textiles. Like it's an old joke of mine that I have repeated before about how you look at any of our ancestral pictures and our grandfathers and fathers are always suited and booted and wearing sort of, you know, three-piece suits and woolen worsted kind of suits. But our mothers were always in beautiful handloom saris, like, for example, the one you are wearing today. The women of India never gave up handloom. My and that is what saved... <laughs> And that's what saved handloom in the country. So I always compliment Indian women for their holding on to the tradition and the heritage of our traditional textiles. So this is where we are coming from. And today what has happened is the biggest threat has come from China. And a lot of silk yarn and fabric is imported from China and sold in India. It's only this year that the government managed to put up the import duties of outside silk coming in. Otherwise, it was cheaper to use Chinese silk than Indian silk at one point in time. So this does not bode well for our industry because Karnataka silk is not a mass-produced silk. It is not something that spews out of a machine in thousands of meters that all look the same. Ours is a handcrafted art. It is something that is very beautiful and very meaningful. And the silk of India is in so many myriad varieties, but all the silk used for weaving used to come from Karnataka. So whether you were wearing a patola from uh, Gujarat, or whether you were wearing a pethani from Maharashtra, or a Banarasi brocade, all the silk yarn came from Karnataka. No longer the case. Today it's coming from China. So you see, this is the big problem, that if we have just allowed them to take over the market, we have not repositioned our own silk as luxury silk. Chinese silk is mass-produced silk. I don't know how much of it is actually synthetic, though I know for a fact that it is not completely pure for the simple reason that Chinese silk never seems to age. It can be washed many times and it still looks like polyester. It just never has that softness and beauty of that Mysore silk that your mother and my mother wore which they hand-washed repeatedly and it became softer to the touch and softer in colour as the years went on. And they just wore it as daily wear, you know. It was just fantastic what the women of India did. We need to get our government to shore up the silk industry again. Because if you look at the entire supply chain, like I say, the Bangalore to Mysore silk route, you see we grow silk cocoons, we farm silk cocoons, we farm cotton, we farm wool. So the agri-industry is as much a big part to play in this whole thing. That if you revive the silk industry and the cotton weaving industry, you're actually reviving a large part of the agricultural industry also. So that's where it all begins, the supply chain. And then it comes to us for spinning and weaving and dyeing. Printing is done in Bangalore. Printing is also done in Sri Rangapatna, in Mysore in all sorts of places. Why can't we relive the history of these fantastic times and get the silk belt going again, of getting the government to give us large investments to revive the industry, and also of creating such interesting and beautiful things along the Silk Road. Why, for example, could Mandya not have a Charka Spinning Institute? Why could it not have a hand block printing institute? Why could it not have a hand weaving institute? Today, young people from all over the world want to learn these arts. 
especially from sensitized countries like Japan. They love coming to India and looking at our textiles, our processes, our tie and dye, our bandini, our exquisite weaving skills, and they take it back as a tourist experience. So we need tourism to also understand the need to create the silk belt that I keep talking about so much and saying, yes, let's do it. And I'm sure that tourism will go up by at least 10 to 15% every year if we are offering such beautiful experiences. And they could offer other experiences also, the Bangalore experience, the Royal Mysore experience. Mysore is still such a beautiful city, so much to see, so much to do, and still very much the center of the silk industry of whatever's left. But that is the sad thing, you know, whatever's left is not how it should be. Prasad, let me just get into a little detail about how, you know, the Mysore silk became so famous. Um, records are there to indicate that it was uh, Tipu Sultan who set up this silk business for, you know, silk weaving, mulberries and getting the cocoons and actually creating a formal silk industry in the 18th century. And then it's like you pointed out, it seemed to have taken a beating during the British regime. Though in the early 20th century, Nalavadi Krishna Rajavadiya created this silk factory in Mysore, basically to make sure that the royals of Mysore and their army could wear the silks that they had seen in London. But over a period of time, of course, post-independence, it's become the government silk factory and then the government arm, Karnataka Silk Industries Corporation owns it. It also owns the GI tag for Mysore silk. But currently what you're talking about is a more generic name as Karnataka silk. So how do we create this? Like we were discussing the other day, there's Molkal Mulsari also. You can make it in cotton, you can make it in um, silk. There are so many different kinds. Silk. Yeah, handwoven stuff. So I think it's a larger movement that you're talking about for handmade, right? And how do we do this? I find it really ironic, you know. I mean, once upon a time, the silk was supposed to be for the royals. And then it became available to the commoners. And now that anybody can buy it, why has it fallen into doldrums now? I mean, what could be the reason? I think actually what you're talking about from Tipu Sultan is the more modern history of silk. Silk existed a thousand years before Tipu Sultan. He revived it to a certain level. He revived it because before that, for about 200 years, there was a thing, very little silk being grown in Karnataka. But he did bring in many varieties of silk and he uh, revived the thing. And like that, this government, like Tipu Sultan, should start the second cycle of revival by creating large sericulture farms, by supporting the industry to ensure that the farmers get a good price every year which makes it they're worth their while to follow sericulture, to give the cotton farmers a new impetus. You see, in India, we have a local variety called Kala cotton, which uses very little water, instead of which we are growing the long-stapled Egyptian version, which is so thirsty for water that it just drinks up tankfuls of water. It reduces the water table wherever it's grown. We need to go back to the old ways of rearing cotton. And then for the sheep farmers who rear wool, in Dharwar and in Northern Karnataka. We need to bring all these organic materials back under the fold by encouraging the farmer to invest in the process of looking after what they do. And then we need to create a lot of encouragement for the spinning industry, for the weaving industry, the dyeing industry, the printing industry, 
and thereafter the retail industry. I've heard figures that say that if you calculate the entire supply chain of khadi, handloom, handwoven fabrics, arts and crafts of local areas like our bidri and sandalwood carvings and all the other beautiful things that we do, that it would account for almost 20% of the population directly or indirectly involved in the manufacture of traditional textiles and traditional craft. Is it not worth looking after? Yet today in the Prime Minister's Killing Program, which is a superb program, I mean, it teaches young people about skills that they can acquire to make a good life for themselves. But why are there no hand skills in this skilling program? You know, we need to respect the skill of the hand. India is a country of handmade. We are a country where the hand arts are so myriad and so wonderful that nowhere else in the world do they even have them anymore. India is the last country with this variety of hand-loomed textiles. We are the last country with this variety of dyes and vegetable dyes and printing techniques, dyeing techniques like bandini and leheria, tie and dye, all the various things that go towards it. If the government can create this impetus from the agriculture to the spinning, to the weaving and to the retail industry, we would be just creating employment and wealth for lakhs of people of the population of Karnataka. I think you raised very, very valid points and I do hope that someone in the government will take this up very seriously. I also admire you for uh, working so much with people who are espousing the cause of handmade. You know, you're working with the Charaka project with Prasanna and you yourself created this uh, series of memory project to make, uh, you know, us all respect and remember the series that our parents and grandparents wore. And I hope all of that leads into a revival and the creation of the Silk Route from Bengaluru to Mysuru, which is going to be Lovely. a pleasurable route to travel down. Thank you so much for joining us today, Prasad. Thank you, Sandhya. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Spotlight with Sandhya. You can watch the video of this episode on the Raintree Media channel on YouTube. Thank you and I'll see you again soon.